Hello and welcome to podcast number 18 of Wave Talks, Fitness for Humans. We're so excited to be joined today by Celine Yan, who is a registered dietitian and it's your company is called Embodied RD. Yes, that's correct. That's an awesome name. I'm very excited <laughs> Thank about you. it. Thank you. So we're going to pass this over to Dee right away. She's going to get started with some hard-hitting questions about what you do and what we can take away from this. Dee, over to you. Thanks, Cam. You're welcome. So Celine, we are very excited to have you here. Um, I personally have been exploring and learning more about intuitive eating, and you are a registered dietitian who specializes in intuitive eating. And I think maybe it would be a good idea for us to just hear a little bit of background, maybe on like who you work with and what exactly you do as a registered dietitian. Sure, absolutely. Thank you so much, you guys, for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, so I work as a registered dietitian. I'm certified in intuitive eating, and I mostly specialize in working with eating disorders and body image concerns. Um, I also have some training in some different somatic or body-based approaches. So I have some training in somatic experiencing and embodied recovery for eating disorders. And so um, I really use a bottom-up approach in my work with clients. And really the, the ultimate uh, goal with working with clients is to um, help people reconnect in their bodies and to help them find a peaceful and satisfying relationship with food. Like, doesn't that sound so lovely? It sounds so tranquil. It sounds very romantic. It like, does sound romantic, actually. It's... Um... <laughs> definitely one of those things where like i i wish it was that easy but i feel like i feel like my relationship with food never sounds that romantic in reality as it did when celine said it my relationship <laughs> with food really is like one of us is alan rickman from die hard and one of us is bruce willis from die hard and that relationship changes all the time somehow <laughs> yes well, I can say that you guys aren't alone. <laughs> I would say I work with a lot of people that have, oh, just a tough relationship with food. And I think there's reasons why. And I'd say part of the reason is because I think we're really swimming in, in diet culture. So we're really swimming in this sort of multi-billion dollar industry of um, people, ex experts, quote unquote, telling us what and how to eat. And so it just causes a really fraught relationship with food. And a sense of not being able to trust our own um, wisdom, our own body's wisdom around food and eating. Why Why do you think we're seeing more of this intuitive eating becoming more popular now? Oh, uh, gosh, I have a couple of answers, I guess. I mean, first, intuitive eating was created by two registered dietitians in the 90s. So it's been over 30 years since intuitive eating has been around. And over that time, there have been like over 120 studies um, in the scientific literature supporting intuitive eating as a way to uh, develop, partly as a way to develop a healthier relationship with food, then also partly to reduce disordered eating behaviors and improve nutrition. So I think just because it's been around for a while now, more people know about it. I will also say that what I'm seeing is that sometimes intuitive eating 
is being co-opted by diet culture, which means that there are people who talk about intuitive eating with the shade of using intuitive eating as a way to obtain a certain body size, weight, or shape, or to mm -hmm. obtain weight loss. And so I would say, actually, what makes it difficult now, because so many people are talking about it, is separating out what is really true intuitive eating as the creators had first built this model in the 90s um, versus what diet culture has co-opted to be just this new fad sort of uh, popular thing. So are you saying that intuitive eating and you know weight loss or trying to find uh, a certain type of body can't coexist in the same space? I would say that that's not the true intention behind intuitive eating. So if we look at what it is, intuitive eating is essentially a practice um, that's supported by 10 principles around finding a relationship with food where we are respecting our body's physical needs. So being able to respect hunger, fullness, satisfaction levels, nutrition, and also supporting emotional needs. So being able to really attend to and take care of our body's needs. And through intuitive eating, we really trust that by doing that, our bodies do what they do with weight. And that might mean maybe staying at the same weight. It might mean um, weight going up or weight going down. We're not seeing weight as a uh, goal that we're aiming for with intuitive eating, with true intuitive eating. But then I think we do have these sort of diets or people out there who really propose intuitive eating as a method for obtaining a certain body. And so it's not to say that bodies won't change with intuitive eating. It's just there's a difference between trusting our bodies versus sort of using it as a way to aim for something specific. Yeah, I think one thing that that makes me think of is like I've often heard the tip of oh if you think you're hungry go have a glass of water then if you're you know then if you're full then you're not hungry and that you know on first thought is like yeah that's a great tool if I'm someone you know that maybe thinks that I need to lose weight for whatever reason the universe is telling me that but really it's kind of teaching you to not really pay attention to your body signals so much. It's sort of finding these tools almost in the name of connecting with yourself, but it's kind of tools to keep ignoring what your body's telling you in a way. That's that's sort of how I interpret it anyway. So sometimes I facilitate groups and currently I'm facilitating a group for people who experience binge eating. And we were talking about diet culture and one of the participants said that she thinks that diet culture is infantilizing. And I was like, yes, that's exactly it. Oh yeah. It's that diet culture proposes all of these rules that you have to follow. And when you follow all of these external outside rules, you're just ignoring your own body's cues and it causes this major lack of trust with yourself. And if you don't follow these rules correctly, then you're failing or or then you internalize these things about yourself. Well, I'm a bad person. I have mm -hmm. no willpower. You know, why can't I stop eating? And all of this self-blame starts to happen. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I feel like it's kind of a symptom or maybe not a symptom, a, a result 
of the current popularity of turning everything into kind of a like politicized team sport but diet culture has always been an early harbinger of that right because anybody that was doing a certain diet that was like the only like oh my god you're not doing the like sugar and whiskey diet oh my god like how how have <laughs> yeah, you missed yeah. this like what's wrong with you it was always like, like and i come up with an absurd example because i don't want to call out any specific examples but um wait is the sugar whiskey diet a thing it could be it is now it is now <laughs> okay that's trademark you can't have it sorry um but realistically for me um like in my perception of these things it it does it becomes like this this team sport politicized very much so about like oh i'm vegan i'm keto i'm uh any of these other things and it does become around about the culture and the rules around that so intuitive eating to me sounds like the hardest thing to do because you're basically asking for everybody that's been stuck in a very hard like politicized structure to let go and be almost in a state of just just be zen just be zen just like come back to center and it it's it's like how do you deal with that complexity because you're basically unprogramming people from the almost like cult like um like obsession or like uh, um evangelism that's the word i'm looking for like of of these diet cultures how do you unprogram people from that or do you find that you have to do that oh man you got it cam i mean I would say that this is what makes it really difficult. And I think what's really, what's really, what's really helpful is that we can name it, that we can start to untangle and start identify how diet culture can show up for people. Um, so one of the activities that I do when I work with clients is I might ask them to uh, write down a list of all of the diet rules that come up for them day to day. And sometimes they come back to me in the next session with like pages and pages of all of these things that they didn't realize that they were trying to follow and would feel guilty about if they don't follow through with those rules. And then we start to see how really difficult it can be. And I think it's just helpful to really name that to say that it makes sense why people go back to diets because diets kind of make it easy. Diets lay down like a set of things that you follow and then it's kind of like that's all you have to do that's how diet culture sort of sells yeah. this product it, but that's and always like intuitive... that's always the sales sheet that's never the reality yeah <laughs> yeah and then with intuitive eating it's like oh man this is the harder work of tuning inward and noticing what your body is actually needing in the moment and then to be able to attend to that need takes reflection it takes time it takes practice over time so it really is a journey and i'd say for many people that i work with journey that happens over time over perhaps even several years do you find that there's a lot of like burnout because what it sounds like to me is almost like you're doing an intervention in a way right and as we know from watching the tv show of the same name somebody really only breaks a habit when they're ready so like do you have kind of like ways to know whether somebody is ready do you like have to ever deal with like people burning out quickly anything like that oh it, it probably depends <laughs> depends on the person depends on who i'm working with 
I would say that most people, when they reach out to work with me, there's some readiness there because um, I'm pretty clear about the type of work that I do and the type of approach that I'm taking. Uh, and so I'd say there's a readiness there. Um, but if the question is, uh, you know, will people sort of give up on intuitive eating? Uh, I would say it, you know, it really depends. Sometimes I would say that when we learn something, it's it's really hard to unlearn it. Like when you start to see your own patterns and behaviors around food and having all of these rules around food, it's pretty hard to just ignore that. And sometimes that's the toughest piece. You know, there's this piece where we're sort of in a bit of ignorance where we don't even know we're stuck in this and we're just sort of living this cycle. And then there's this piece where we start to know about it and then we're um, trying to move out of that cycle. And sometimes that's really the toughest thing because it's like, I know that, uh, you know, it's really common that people come to me after having experienced many, many, many diets over years and years and knowing that diets don't work for them and yet still feeling compelled to, you know, track calories or mm -hmm. uh, download an app for a, a new diet mm -hmm. because intuitive eating is tough. But I think that's kind of where it's so helpful to uh, work with someone that specializes in intuitive eating or to be part of a community or a group of people who are really supportive of one another and really understand the struggle. There's a word that you used earlier that I just keep thinking about in my head. You talked about trusting your body and I think that's the hardest thing for me to kind of wrap my head around I do trust my body I have a good relationship now but that was really hard to develop to to feel that I could trust myself in my thoughts thinking is that really what my body needs or is it my mind tricking me into thinking that's what I need so I think that group aspect might help with that have you found that that's kind of where you bridge the gap between trusting yourself and trusting the group to help you trust yourself like what does that look like yeah I would say a couple of things I mean one would be yes and you know when you're in a group with other people who really understand and who you can relate to it just really reduces the shame around eating concerns and that can be so helpful and then also you know in groups people are different places along the journey so being able to hear from others who maybe are um I don't want to say further along, but maybe really able to work with one of the principles of intuitive eating might just help that person see what it's like in practice and might offer a lot of um, uh, sort of inspiration around it. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's sort of one piece with working in a group. The other is I had mentioned earlier that uh, when I work with clients, I work from a bottom up approach and that just me maybe I'll just take a pause there. Have you guys heard of the term bottom up versus sort of top down? Yes, but please go ahead and say it anyway. No, I'm, I'm not yeah. familiar. I haven't. Jesse, you, two to one, you lose. Okay, that's fine. I'd like to hear it anyway for our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> okay. So top down approaches are when we take information in cognitively through our minds and our brains and then sort of apply that information. Whereas bottom-up approaches are really working on the level of the body. So it's working on the level of the body's nervous system, helping us feel safe inside our bodies, really tracking sensations inside our bodies and starting to learn perhaps how our bodies are communicating with us. And a big part of intuitive eating is around cultivating and moving towards interoception. So helping people 
um, notice sensations inside and being able to make sense of these sensations. Um, you know, this, uh, you know, ache in my throat, like, is this a sensation of thirst or hunger? Or this ache in my stomach, is this hunger or fullness or anxiety? And so I would say part of the work is around um, starting to notice different sensations in our bodies and reconnect with them. And I would say that that is a way of, um, I can't remember what your original question was, Jess. I was trying to circle it back to answer that question. Well, it sounds like you're actually answering how to develop trust with the self. Yes, thank you. It was the trust with body piece where, well, oh, if we start to learn about the sensations in our bodies and really start to befriend these sensations and get to know them, well, then that is a step towards trusting our bodies. Mm -hmm. And I know because I've had some conversations with clients about intuitive eating and I'm not certified in it, so I'm not coaching them through it, but we just have the conversations a little bit about my experience and how they're feeling. And a big thing that comes up, especially when we're talking about trusting the body, is people say, well, how can I trust that I'm not just going to eat everything in my house or everything that I've denied myself? And like, how can I trust that my body's going to stop me when like when all I can do is think about a donut and so I don't eat them because I can't control myself? Like, how do we handle that aspect of learning to trust the body and start trying to eat intuitively? Oh, man, that's like, I'd say one of the the biggest things that comes up on the journey of intuitive eating is this fear that if I have permission to eat, then I'm just going to eat all of these foods and I won't stop. And that makes sense because, you know, if for anybody that's been on a diet and really restricted, it's really common to experience, I call it sort of rebound eating or binge eating where, well, of course, when these foods are forbidden and when they're placed on a pedestal, we're going to really covet them and really rebel against those diet rules and reach for them and and then feel out of control with eating them because we've been so restricted and feeling so deprived. And so part of the process is around knowing that if we can start shifting our belief system around food and instead of seeing certain foods on a pedestal or believing them to be forbidden foods where we can't eat them, which really drives that and increases that desire to eat, we start to make those foods a little bit more neutral by incorporating them into eating in a way where it feels safe to do so, so that essentially what we're aiming for is offering unconditional permission to eat where you as an adult get full permission to eat what you want to eat. You have the agency to decide what you'd like to eat And we add in the piece around uh, being able to respect your body's needs at the same time. Mm -hmm. So we take it, we move away from viewing foods as good or bad and cutting out foods to actually all of these foods I can choose to eat. And there isn't any one food that's, you know, good or bad. But now that they're more neutral and there's less of this strong emotional urge to eat it because they're no longer forbidden, Mm. what would be best for my body in this moment? What would satisfy my desire for taste and pleasure while also balancing energy levels and hunger and fullness needs? 
That makes me think of a story that one of my clients told me about Halloween candy. One Mm. of uh, their child's friends is not allowed sugar at home. And after Halloween came over and proceeded to obsess about the candy in their house. And they couldn't even play apparently because this child was just like, I really just want the candy. Like I'm here for the candy. Why you gotta talk about my childhood? (laughs) And I I found that interesting because it makes me think as adults, we we don't really grow out of that in a lot of ways around diet culture. Because if something's there and you know it's present and you know you never get to have it, it just make it makes that drive so much stronger, which is kind of what you're saying, yeah? Oh, exactly. Mm-hmm. And then what happens, I, I would say for a lot of people that I work with, if they experience this at a young age, is that then there's this pattern of sneaking food and then feeling really bad or guilty about sneaking it. And that's when we really get stuck in that cycle of, you know, we call it the diet binge cycle. Well, and I experienced a pretty like dramatic version of that when I was competing in bikini bodybuilding competitions. Right. So it was, I did uh, a show, I did two shows like one year in a row and it was a six month prep to each one. So during my first one, I became very obsessed with food so after the first competition there was a little time in between where i was like okay i have to eat all the foods i love and all the quote-unquote bad foods until my next prep and i like we went to a high tea i believe the day after my show and like we brought leftovers home and i ate all that i could stomach felt super sick maybe a half hour passed and i ate leftovers Cause I was like, I like, it's urgent. I couldn't have this for six months. I'm not going to have it for another six months. I have to eat it now. Desert Island eating. Must get all the good food in me now. Yes. Yes. And like I was food obsessed. And then when I was prepping again, like I would just like look longingly at people's food and started to follow a whole bunch of foodie Instagrams because it was all I could think about because I couldn't have it. So when intuitive eating came to me sort of through that point and I decided once I'm done competing I'm going to go to that things totally shifted and as someone who was like especially dessert obsessed even before competing now I'm starting to it's been like over a year now where I've been trying to get in touch with my body and starting to realize that like I can have the most decadent delicious buttercream cake in front of me and I can stop eating it when I'm full even if I haven't had a whole piece so that's that's where like I've been trying to talk about intuitive eating to other people now like family members and stuff because it really is shifting my life and I'm feeling more confident in my body now than I did when I was like nine percent body fat and super lean and in a sparkly bikini on stage. And it's totally that diet culture thing and trust in my body versus trust in a diet. Oh yeah, that's so beautiful. And and that's such a, like how nice, how <laughs> nice that you can have like cake or you know food in front of you and and there isn't this like strong urge to eat it that's overwhelming and feeling of out of control and to know that you can have as much as you need to feel satisfied to have that that joy with food I think Mm -hmm. that's so um oh it's so essential and it's um 
I just think it's just entirely possible for people to have that relationship with food. Jess talks about like the kid with the um, Halloween candy. And when Dee's talking about the buttercream icing, are we not talking about a form of addiction in a way? Earlier I talked about like cult deprogramming, but now I'm talking about like addiction uh, uh, counseling at this point. You know, I have to assume that you, you see those aspects. Like, do you see this as like an addiction? addiction issue like how do you frame that when you go into these rooms with these um clients that come to you first i just really want to say that i really get it when somebody is having such a tough time with food that it feels like they're addicted to food because i can really understand the the feeling and the sense of feeling out of control Mm -hmm. and the sense that if certain foods are around that there's like an addiction quality to it But I would say that's very different from actually experiencing an addiction to a specific substance or alcohol. And part of it is that, well, we need food to live and we need food for survival and we cannot just cut out food. The second is that when people present with this strong sense that they're addicted to food, that actually many of those people would fit criteria for an eating disorder. And so I would really... You know, it really depends on the person that we're, we're talking about. But I really say that um, there are different things in place that lead to that feeling of out of control. I know that there are studies out there of rats, for example, given foods that are high in sugar versus like regular rat, rat feed. And that if rats are given the, these foods that are high in sugar, then they tend to sort of binge eat on them. And, and thus, you know, sugar is an addictive substance. Cetera, we actually talked about that study in our sugar podcast. <laughs> I know. I listened to that episode. Um, I what I will say is that what's often not talked about for those rat studies is that actually those rats are starved before they are given the food. And so really the, the, the rats are restricted and the way that rats respond when they're restricted and starved when that food is present is different to when they're fed a regular diet. And then there are also foods, you know, maybe with added sugar available. And so that's sort of one thing about a lot of these food addiction studies is that I don't think there's um, an adequate way of separating out what is uh, just a primal drive to eat that's based in restriction uh, versus this actual substance in the food. I do recognize that, of course, there are studies about food where there are certain ingredients that make food more palatable. So sugar, fat, salt, sure, these, these ingredients make food more palatable. But I would say that the level of that palatability is different from someone actually having an addiction to, again, a specific substance like a drug or alcohol. Okay. So essentially I'm hearing you say that no, it's it's not really an actual addiction, but are, are some of those markers the same in terms of how you have to deal with them? If so, and even if, if they're only similar but not uh, born of the same triggers or, or what have you, does that must mean that you have to be like, I would have to assume that you've got like some sort of like somatic techniques that you can like teach to people like rather like, cause I mean, cause it, it does become comforting. I mean, literally process of eating, like lifting something to your face and, and chewing and going through that can work through triggered t- 
times, right? Like if you're triggered, you like you 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 do oh, that as a comfort absolutely. thing. So so like is that part of your practice? Like do, like that somatic stuff, that uh, uh, speaking to trauma around food? Yeah, yeah. So I had mentioned earlier that I I have some training in somatic experiencing, which is uh, a therapy approach to working with trauma. And I and I really want to acknowledge that that you know when we dig a bit deeper. When we dig a bit deeper into why does this food feel so addictive? Like, why is it that I can't stop eating? You know, we can ask the question of what is this food really offering me in this moment? What am I getting from it? Hmm. Oh, I'm getting comfort. Yeah. I'm getting taste and pleasure. Food is so sensory. There's taste, texture in your mouth. There's a smell. It looks good oh, it's distracting me from this uncomfortable feeling that I don't want to deal with right now, or I'm procrastinating because I don't want to do this, you know, task for work. Been and there. snack is so much more pleasurable. Yeah. Okay, well, that makes so much sense. So now we're making sense of it. So now we're coming to, well, how can we help? How can we really attend to what you're needing in that moment? And whether it's you're needing a break from work or you're needing uh, a different activity to do or you're feeling lonely and you're actually needing connection or engagement with somebody else or if we're talking on the level of trauma is it that um you know for some people who've really experienced trauma that your body's just in a state of survival and your nervous system is so dysregulated that food is actually inherently kind of regulating for you, that food actually does help you calm down in some way. And in that case, well, we can really recognize a role that food plays and then start to uh, either work with moving through that trauma or, and, or also adding in different resources. So you can actually start to feel regulated and feel a sense of safety inside your body. This really feels like food therapy. You know what I mean? Like I, when I think of, you know, diet culture and all those things previously, I always just thought, you know, step A, step B, step C. When in reality, our relationship with food is so much more complex than that. And it really needs to be treated like this holistic thing that's mind, body and soul essentially is kind of what you're describing. On the surface level, it feels like it's all about the food. This is the whole food addiction piece. Oh, it's just about the food. It's because these things high in fat, sugar, and salt are bad. We have to cut them out. We can't eat them. But then it doesn't really get to the deeper level of why am I reaching for it and what am I getting from it? Is it almost the opposite then of like it's actually about not being connected? Hmm. Right? Like that. Like we've talked a little bit about that earlier. But I mean, and you talk about dysregulation and uh, trauma there's what was it called there's something we just went through over the last year and a half uh, <laughs> a panda uh, pa- a big panda big panda big panda um, but like are <laughs> sorry are you finding like that like and any effect from covid in terms of like the people that you work with in terms of the the uh experience of like maybe existing clients as they've like come through covid or like an uptick in uh new clientele because of covid is like has that been a boon for you are you one of the ones oh. becoming like a multimillionaire off of covid <laughs> 
Oh, that's so terrible to say. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not capitalizing on people's misfortunes. Oh, I'm certainly um, not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not accusing you of being like a predacious capitalist. Uh, I'm just saying, like like people, you know, are starting to come out of it, and yeah. uh, like everybody's starting to kind of feel like they have to kind of get back to normal. So, it, is that yeah. like a boon? Like just naturally in the cycle, is that a boon for you? Oh yeah. Yeah, so many pieces about the pandemic. Part of it is people working from home, having a lot more access to food and outside of their, you know, typical structure of, you know, a, a work day to isolation and loneliness to um, less connection with uh, family, friends and loved ones and community to now um, as people are heading back into work and seeing people again, um, all of the uh, fears around if people have uh, had a change in their bodies over the pandemic, feeling really worried about that, and, you know, interacting with people again. I mean, this is all so stressful. Mm -hmm. Right. And this stress has an impact on people's bodies. And, you know, unless if we have really ways of taking care of ourselves during that stress and able to feel uh, comforted and regulated, then food then can become one of the things that we reach for to get some of that comfort. Tying in that, uh, again, that like idea of, of, of like the news cycles and, and the, the pressure and all of that, for you as, as a professional, like you have to see the same things over and over and over again. Is there any common kind of ties that bind for a lot of people when it comes to what you see that you kind of have to deprogram? Yeah, I can answer that. I think you alluded it alluded to it earlier, Cam, which is, um, well, I think the common thing that I see is a lack of connection internally. So a lack of connection with our bodies and a lack of embodiment. So a lack of sense of actually living in our bodies and being in our bodies, and more of this sort of living according to all of these sort of external rules instead, and, and then therefore really disconnected in our bodies. And that's where the top down versus bottom up uh, comes yes. into play. Oh my God, you're teaching me. That's amazing. <laughs> that is like, ask anybody. That's a phenomenal thing. Um, I actually wanted to ask, like following up my last question, what is it like? So I walk in off the street and I'm like, hi there. I, I'm interested in what you do. What happens? Like, what's the process like for you? How do you like triage people? How do you take them in? Like, what's the first triage step? Triage people. Yeah. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> oh, it's a bit of a conversation and just around um, what you're looking for. Um, right. I spend a lot of time just kind of getting to know people. So just trying to understand what is your current relationship to, to food like? What are you struggling with? What's a difficult time for you? What do you spend a lot of time thinking about or worrying about food-wise and body-wise? So I'm just kind of getting a sense of what the person is struggling with. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we prioritize what to work on. So uh, sometimes the work is around, let's say, if we're reconnecting to hunger and fullness cues. So sometimes the work might be um, some practices where we play around with what is it, what are different level, I mean, there's such a spectrum of hunger and fullness. So how does a spectrum of hunger and fullness feel like in your body? And sometimes we do that with actual food. So I might inv invite people to bring food into a session 
and we may eat together and we may explore what differing levels of hunger and fullness feel like inside. So that would be sort of one very specific example that I might do with some one person around hunger and fullness. And then sometimes it's more around um, uh, fear with food, um, having a lot of the forbidden or fear foods or worry that I, if I bring in this food into my house, I'm gonna you know, eat it all and finish the package. And then so then we're playing around with what is it like to eat this food maybe in a mindful way using all of our senses or maybe it's around how can we maybe we do a bit more of the top-down processing of um, some information and education around food and what food is made up of so that we don't have to fear it so much hmm. that there is nothing inherently wrong about eating bread that the ingredients in bread are water flour maybe some salt maybe some yeast and that when we take in that food our bodies break it down into those core components it's just that through these internalized diet rules we formed all of these negative connotations and fears around eating this specific food hmm. so there's some of that work and then i would say if people are really struggling in their bodies uh, really feeling a lot of dissatisfaction in their bodies then we're doing some work around body image and um, shifting into you know, what is it like when we can actually start to live in our bodies? And even how does that even feel? So I may guide people through different grounding and centering activities, mindfulness activities, to really start to notice different sensations as they come up inside and making sense of those sensations. I think sometimes that can be a challenge. So when I was going through the intuitive eating book, um, they talk about how, you know, if you are somebody that reaches for food in an emotional struggle or when you're feeling upset, you know, the alternative is to actually acknowledge those emotions and mm. sit with that. Because kind of like you said before, um, sometimes what is that food offering you? And if it's offering you comfort, what are you avoiding if you're eating the food to get comfort? And so... Um, I think that can be a big struggle with why we don't always look inward to be intuitive with our eating because it's like you've said before it's hard hard to do that sure it's almost like sitting in a conversation with somebody where you just have to stare into each other's eyes but you're not allowed to talk but you're just staring <laughs> into your own eyes and you're not allowed to eat until you've decided what's wrong <laughs> yeah. Whoa. So it's not, not a comforting thought. No. That's too intense. <laughs> oh, I would say that, sure, a lot of the work is um, kind of uncomfortable. <laughs> like when people come and see me, it's not a walk in the park. It's like, oh, I have to work through some uncomfortable stuff. So we hang out in some of that uncomfortable stuff. And my role is just to be there to support that person through it. So at the beginning, they don't have to do it by themselves, mm -hmm. that we can hang out in that discomfort, we can explore it, we can explore how it feels in the body. And then it gives them some experience so that when they're outside of a session with me, now they have a bit more confidence in maybe how they can respond to that uncomfortable feeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I guess you're less likely to ignore it and then just 
you know, turn to some of those other comforts without acknowledging what's going on and maybe actually taking care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So that leads me into a question of, let's say, well, actually, I I might be after this podcast. Let's say I really want to dive deep into intuitive eating. I'll lend you the book. Yeah, thank you. Need it. I want to know what these Ten Commandments are. Um, Whoa, hey, hey, hey. (laughs) I thought we weren't doing rules with this one. <laughs> but I thought it was commandments. That's what was it called that earlier? The guidelines? They're called ten they're ten principles. Ten principles. Okay. Eating. So the ten yeah. principles. So you just turned it into diet culture, Jess. I did. Oh wow. Unintentionally. Quick. Oh wow. I'm just so programmed at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Celine, can you unprogram her like right now on the podcast? <laughs> well I'm trying. I'm trying to ask her how I unprogram myself, Cam. <laughs> so <laughs> so my question for you, Celine, is Let's say I want to get started in this. What would be my first, maybe second step in how I can start to deep dive into intuitive eating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Dee's already mentioned the book, Intuitive Eating. There's also a workbook that I would highly recommend. It's helpful to be able to reflect uh, on worksheets for some people. And then I would say that after that, um, part of the process around is, is around getting curious uh, around why we eat and why we reach for food. And so I'd say the two things that we can do to start this process is number one, take a pause before we reach for food, before we eat, and just check in with what's coming up in that moment when I'm reaching for food and maybe just asking some questions like, am I eating because I'm physically hungry or am I eating because of something else? Because I'm bored, because I'm lonely, because I'm tired. And then starting to really suss out when are the moments when I'm reaching for food when it's really meeting my physical need and when is it when it's when I'm trying to meet a different need. That's probably the first step. That's super interesting. I'm going back to my eating this morning when I had breakfast and then pretty much immediately after I was like, yeah, I'm having a cookie. And I didn't have a thought process in between that. But now when I'm going back, I'm like, why did I choose to eat all those things for breakfast? I'm not even sure. Was I full? I think I was. I think I just wanted chocolate. It was pretty good cookie, I have to say. Yeah. (laughs) And you didn't bring me one? You're right. I didn't. I kept them for myself. (laughs) (laughs) And and also I want to say that because, you know, people then do start turning intuitive eating into a diet. Then it's like, oh, I ate that cookie, but I wasn't physically hungry. Is that bad? And it's like, no, that's not bad. I mean, there are different reasons why we enjoy food. Where it tastes good. It's flavorful. You know, I get to enjoy it with a friend. There's a social connection there. I also just so, really, really, really love chocolate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy you Be- bring wonderful, that up. Wonderful. Beautiful. Cool. <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm so happy you bring up the social part and like you even brought it up before where you said like the joy in eating. And I think in a lot of diet culture, a lot of diets we hear about, it's like, you know, it's like there's elegance in refusal, like be the person who's not eating the dessert or who's not ordering fries, be the person ordering the salad and everyone's going to be envious of you because nothing <laughs> tastes better than being skinny feels or whatever that terrible quote is. Nothing tastes better than being right. <laughs> but, but knowing that like in intuitive eating and in any, like in any way that you eat, it's okay if food brings you joy and it's not just fuel. I actually, I, I do have a question and it's a bit of a dead devil's advocate question. Um, oh, I love those. Bring it on. So 
so a lot of people look to diets for some form of body change. And, and we encounter this in our profession all of the time. It's really defined when people come to a personal trainer or a fitness coach, they're looking typically for either muscle gain, body composition change, or the <laughs> weight loss, right? And we like have to be so careful in how we approach that. So with intuitive eating, what strikes me as interesting is you have not talked at all about the effect of intuitive eating with people's weight. And when we talk about the studies, this, oh man, you can find a study for whatever you want because half the studies say that intuitive eating can help you lose weight. Half the studies say that the intuitive weeding, intuitive eating, I can say it. Intuitive weeding. Intuitive, yeah. <laughs> that's, I'm gluten-free, so I can't do any intuitive weeding. Um, but uh, intuitive eating does not help you lose weight. Um, so how do you deal with that? Because I know, like, just from what I'm picking up from this so far, it's not really about that. But you have to encounter that all the time. How do you deal with that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yes. How many scales should I have in my time. house? <laughs> <laughs> I really recognize when people are having a, a difficult time in their bodies. And people can have a difficult time in their bodies for many different reasons. And one could be because they live uh, that they live in a larger body. And we live in a culture where larger bodies are seen in a certain light and there's a lot of weight stigma and or it could be that somebody has been told to lose weight by a healthcare provider, like by their doctors, for example. And now there's this focus on weight loss. So there are many people who, who do have a strong desire to change their bodies and to lose weight. I really, under, I really just recognize how important that can be to somebody. And I would say that um, well, one is that, you know, there are many studies that look at diets and look at, um, I think something like 95% of people who go on diets may lose weight within the first six months and then regain that weight and often more within one to five years. Oh, yeah. And so there's just, so there's also this maybe some information education around what may or may not be realistic. Which is also to say that, well, there are also 5% of people who maybe are able to follow and stick to a diet and not have a disordered relationship with food. I also want to acknowledge that. Um, and then I want to say that, well, gosh, I mean, our bodies have inherently a genetic footprint, you know, like um, your shoe size or your height is genetically determined. And weight to a certain extent studies show up to you know 30 percent up to 70 percent of weight is linked to genetics depends on the study that you read <laughs> but there's a component there that we don't have control over so we also want to acknowledge that as well and so sure maybe there is this piece here where weight may change um, depending on lifestyle factors like eating and you know activity levels um, but I would also say that can we start to, instead of us needing to do things to restrict and deprive ourselves in order to lose weight, 
And that keeps us stuck in this cycle where then we have this fraught relationship with food and our bodies. Could we place weight loss on the back burner? I acknowledge that it's important, but can we kind of trust that by attending to your body's needs, attending to hunger, attending to fullness, attending to satisfaction, taking care of your nervous system, can we trust it by doing these things that your body actually knows what to do with weight? And it may do something about it. You know, your body's weight may change or it may not. And so there is this sort of trust factor. And some people may be ready for that and may be so fed up and so tired of dieting that they're ready for that. And then some people will say to me, no, thank you. And they'll move on and they'll try something else. And that's also okay. I think that this goes back to that readiness question of what are you ready for? And and you may not be ready for intuitive eating and that's also okay. Does that happen pretty frequently? where you'll tell somebody kind of the process just like that and they say, yeah, this isn't for me. That's not what I want. Um, I would say not so frequently anymore now that I'm working in private practice. And, you know, usually people come to me because they sort of have heard about me or they've um, they sort of know what my work is about. So I would say less often. And when people are asking for those things up front, I usually just refer them elsewhere. Because it's you know really important to have a good fit with whoever you're working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any resources for like that you would vet uh, that people can go check out on their own to develop their understanding of kind of like what this is all about? Like besides the book, are there any like online resources? Are there any uh, community forums or anything like that that you would recommend? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, there's um, I think there's a really big Facebook group for people who for intuitive eating there's also uh the intuitive eating website itself has a uh community section on it where people can post about their experiences uh so the intuitive eating website could be a really great resource and there are also some other really great people in the field who uh do a lot of work around intuitive eating and like you (laughs) (laughs) I can name a bunch of other people as well. I'm not sure if that's what you're looking for. How can people work with you, Celine, for support through this? <laughs> Thank you, Dee. Uh, yeah, I mean, anybody who's wanting to work with me can find me online. So you can either follow me on Instagram or Facebook. My handle is embodiedrd. Or you can find me and contact me on my website, embodiedrd.com. There's always like a piece of wisdom that practitioners like to impart on the people that they work with is there a typical phrase a typical sentence or a thing that you almost find yourself saying to every single person that's you know wisdom from something you've learned or just something from being in the field for so long that you really like to tell to your clients oh yeah um probably taking a pause and asking what does my body need right now in this moment, what does it need? Do I need a rest? Do I need a break? Do I need fresh air? Do I need food, something to drink, company, a stretch, movement? Mm -hmm. In this moment, what does my body need right now? When did you learn that was an important aspect of your life? (laughs) That's a really hard question to answer. (laughs) Oh, uh, gosh. I've had my own experiences with my body and food and eating and 
Probably just over time, really. Mm. Yeah, as I've built, I mean, I've been working as a dietitian for like 11 years now. So just as I've been getting to know how to work with people and and what is um, really useful and helpful and then what is, you know, not very useful or helpful. Mm. So I think just maybe just the experience building over time. I can't pinpoint a specific, mm. you know, time for myself. I'd like to know how you tune out diet culture because as I've been like you know maybe a year into like working on intuitive eating and I like I tune my my social media feed so I follow less of like the diet promoting people and more intuitive eating people and accounts like yours but still those like that stuff does creep in it's insidious and it's really hard to ignore so like for you practicing this for 11 years like what are some of your best tips or like are you fully just like, are you able to tune it out at the drop of a hat? Does it even occur to you anymore? There's a point when you just start to get kind of angry at diet culture, and it's like the thing you're fighting with. So for me, it's like, this is a thing I'm fighting against is diet culture and um, seeing somebody stuck in this like beast of a thing where, oh, it's like in our whole healthcare system. Like it's, yes. it really is. It, so I really actually just get angry when I hear messages that are diet culture type messages. I think it's sort of the lingering piece that I find is the one that really impacts a lot of people um, and is probably the sort of the longest, hardest one is around body image and how, you know, how we view our bodies. And mm. um, I think that piece can be like, I can still receive messages about what people look like and you know what attractive bodies look like and there's this sort of um it's like internalized fat phobia and so i can acknowledge those pieces and then what i can do for myself is you know tune back inward in my own body and you know like you know be okay in my body yeah. you know <laughs> um i don't know if that answers your question but that would be the piece that's sort of the I think the one that a lot of people kind of struggle with is internalized fat phobia, this idea that larger bodies are less worthy and need to be changed mm -hmm. and need to be turned into smaller, thinner bodies. And then we're here like being afraid that we are going to become the thing that we're fearing. And so that is why we turn to diets and diet culture. Mm -hmm. We keep taking in that message of diet culture. Yeah. It's really tough. Sure. I find yeah. it interesting that you say you get angry and you're you're at war with this other side of um i guess the nutrition uh like book almost uh, i find that same thing in coaching and training mm -hmm. you know i see images uh being broadcast to people or statements that are just so generalized and i get so frustrated and it's funny to hear you say that you get angry because I was like, I'm try I try not to get angry anymore, but it still makes you so frustrated in the field because you just see mm -hmm. how damaging those kind of statements can really be, even just one. Oh, I agree with you. And, and I think I'll say that, I mean, for me, like, I like anger. Like, anger tells me that either a boundary or a line has been crossed or it mm -hmm. tells me what's important to me and what I value. Mm -hmm. And so when that anger is there, it's like, oh, okay, it's because of this. And because this is, you know, and then it just sort of fuels the desire to do the work mm -hmm. and the desire to, 
um, stay on this, you know, work of intuitive eating or embodiment, you know, whatever you call it. Honestly, this is what you just said, though, like you get angry and then like you welcome anger because of what it teaches you. And so like everything you're saying is you being in touch with your body Mm -hmm. and being connected, which is why I feel like you would be such a lovely person to have around when going through the same thing and trying to learn how to be intuitive. Yeah, thank you. Um, (laughs) One thing that I do want to say is that, you know, I don't think this work is around just like being calm, but also that as human beings, we just have a spectrum of emotions and it's more so can we tolerate the spectrum of emotions? Can we hang out with it, understand what it means and still sort of be in our bodies while it's happening and take care of ourselves through it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the goal is not like, I think earlier Cam mentioned something about being Zen and I would say, well, yeah. it's not really the goal. It's, can I just, have an acceptance for my range of emotions and know how to take care of myself when I'm in them. Isn't that what Zen is? <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I guess maybe we have to look up the, de- the definition of Zen. I don't know. <laughs> well, it's, it's like, it's not comatose. I know that. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's different to be like at peace with yourself mm-hmm. than to be at peace. Like peaceful versus being at peace with something. I think those are very different things. I feel like we could talk about this all day. And it's been so lovely having you here. You've shared so much that I'm sure we're all going to be able to apply it. So thank you so much for joining us today. For anybody who loved what they heard today and would like to learn more, you can reach out to Celine. We're going to have her contact information in the link with our podcast here. And she's also shared it in the podcast. Thanks for listening, everyone. We are three-way fitness. We are fitness for humans. Celine is embodied RD. And we would love to hear from you if you want to talk more about what we brought up in today's podcast. We hope you have a fantastic day.